Hello again, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 148. And for anyone new uh, to this podcast, this is a podcast. I, I train for a living. I train dogs and have for a long time. And I train retrievers, all the retrievers, and have spent a lot of time in my life just because it just worked out that way. Also training them, the ones that point birds in the upland field naturally to train, you know, train in that aspect of it as well. So it's about that kind of stuff, but it's equally or more about, uh, our relationship with our animals and what a major impact it is on just one living with them and two, any of the work that we're trying to do with them, the training or the competition or just using them the way that, you know, that the thing that they love to do most. So it's heavily on the people part. And I try to put on this podcast uh, a write-up uh, wherever you get it from. It comes on, you know, basically it's almost everywhere you can get podcasts that tells you what the topics are so you can see if it's something that uh, is useful to you or not. So that's what we, that's what this one is. Today's is going to be a G update and it's kind of a relevant G update. And then I'm going to take some, uh, some listener questions that I've had or listener challenges, like you might even call them. So G, for those of you who haven't been tootling along on this thing, is a little dog that's almost six months old, just about, that I've been showcasing since about the age of eight or nine weeks. Um, I had done the same thing with her mother, I think seven years ago or however long it was, uh, and her mother turned out to be uh, a four-time grandmaster at uh, 22 months and a master hunter and had won a qualifying, so qualified all age, all by the age at the, when she was three. So she was quite, quite an exceptional uh, dog. And then she's been bred to another very exceptional dog, Teddy, out of Wisconsin. I don't even know all stuff he has, <laughs> but, he's, but he's a four-time grandmaster, master hunter, and then a grand poopa of the highest order in uh, HRC. So very uh, high potential dogs. And then G and one of her littermates is coming here uh, tomorrow, actually, is a dog that I'm just taking people along as we go on a pointing retriever and just showing the good stuff and the not good stuff and just trying to highlight that this is really a long-term process and sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't. So speaking of it doesn't, so this last week, you know, I do upland birds once a week with all my uh, upland dogs and uh, I did not take G out. She did not go. She did not go run the marks with us on the weekend and earlier in the week. She's been doing, uh, I have shown, you know, starting the hold, kind of a, the formal hold that's on Facebook, showing how I do that with her. But she, what's happened with her, and she is a really good little dog, and she points for like over a minute every time she points. And she, there's a lot of videos of her retrieving the bumper and just bringing it straight back to me and even holding on to it. Oh, this looks so good, right? She just looked like she was already her mom and dad doing great things. Well, what often happens, not always, but often happens, even with dogs like her, is they start to, when they start to get, I, I always call it teenagery, when they begin, you know, she's just turning six months old, and she has all of her teeth, there's one little canine that's still, baby canine that's hanging in behind the big one, so we're just about, that's all done, so it's not, you know, it's easy to carry bumpers and stuff, 
But she's been out in that upland field and she's been doing these marks and life is taking a walk and life is so good. And then when we, I shot some birds for her because she, I mean, she's, when you point for a minute, you need to get something good come out of that. So, and it opened the door to, um, the warm, nice bird, bird body. Oh, wow. That was awesome to her. She just loved it. And it's loved it so much that I, it took me about three or four minutes to get, get her and get it. And it, I had to sacrifice a lot of stuff, throwing and tossing stuff in the, oh goodness. So when that happened with some consistency, that's when I said, all right, we're going to stop this for a little while because it's becoming the chase me. I have this bird and I might eat it or I don't know, but this is really fun. And I can't let that continue. And I'm not putting an electric collar on a six month old dog, even though I know that is not the way people do it now. I'll still say that's a mistake. So what I did was stop and we're not going out in the upper field. And then on the marks, when I started doing marks, even with bumpers, if there's something good smell out there, now all of a sudden we're, we're not coming back like she did when she was about 10 weeks old. She quit coming back to me. Well, now she's kind of, well, in a minute, wait, I have to do this. So in her little mind, um, she's kind of just gotten very independent and really likes it. And she really likes that fun stuff. Uh, more than the boring stuff of the holding the bumper and healing and all that. So I'm not doing any of the punishment thing. No, I, and I've had a lot of people go, well, aren't you going to put the cord on her and then this and that? And, and I'm not, no, um, I'm not going to do that. I, uh, any puppy that points all their birds for a minute or more. Okay. I, we got, a, we got the point kind of going on that. I'm not going to I'm not worried we're going to lose something, but I'm going to take however many weeks right now it is to do everything close in, to do the obedience, to get on the hold, to, I'm going to, when I throw a bumper for her, it's going to be within, I'm going to put on her, the long rope, the one I do the double T stuff with. I'm going to put her on that and make sure she comes directly back with or without it. And so we're going to, that's the second time I've done this now. We're going to go back. I've taken away the house time now. <laughs> Because it's like, girl, we're not fraternity partying again. So we kind of slip back into that, only bigger, more fun stuff, because stuff's dying. So that's where we are with G. So we're going back to just fundamentals, and I showed those things. I'm not the punishment thing, the getter if she does that. And and I know I have stood on my front property arguing with uh, some of the field trial people about putting electricity on a little dog like that. You know, and I, having trained many, many, many of these guys, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait this out so that I don't have this extremely unfair advantage over her that she doesn't even understand and that she hasn't had proper conditioning to. So that's the G update. So we, we're having one of those times where people get real frustrated with their puppies and think it's their puppy and it's their puppy and almost every other puppy. So that's what we're doing. That's what the G report is um, right now. Back to questions now. I'm going to try and get at least two or three in here without talking too much. I got a, one question from somebody, and their question is real simple and straightforward for those of you that compete in the pointing lab world. And the question was, how do I know when my dog is ready uh, to go get certified? How do I know, you know, because it's ex kind of expensive. It's a high uh, entry fee. And you've got to pass two times now if you go get your dog certified. No longer mandatory. You can just jump into whatever level you want to. 
but then it takes different number of passes, just like I think the AKC is the same way. So, but if you want to get your dog certified and you've got to go do it twice, and, and so how do you know that, that this dog is ready? Okay, couple things. And I'm not going to, you know, I like to have them, well, I can't say that. I've had dogs just make fools of me out there. But so for one, the dog doesn't have to be like totally force fetched because in the rules, they don't have to deliver to hand like they do at the at advanced and master level and also in every AKC thing. They don't have to deliver to hand. They have to deliver it to within one step of you. And it's also, they, we put it in there years ago, one reasonable step. That means you don't do the Chinese splits and can still reach the bird. It has to be just if you were in the field and you took a step to, to get the bird. So they've got, they can set it down within one reasonable step of you. Uh, it's much nicer if they just bring it into you, sit down and wait for you to take it. So your dog has to reliably do that on shot upland birds and on ducks out of the water. So that's one thing that your dog has to, has to be able to do. If it takes you a minute or two to conjole and beg and, and do all kinds of stuff to get them in, I'd say you're, you're, that's very risky because judges aren't going to tolerate an extended period of time of you begging your dog to come back. They need to come back with the bird and bring it to you. At the shoreline and the certified, they're not going to back up 15 yards away from the shore and have the dog do that. Generally, what they do is get right close to the shoreline, understanding that at a young age or young crazy dogs, that it's difficult sometimes coming out of water with that. So generally, you will be close enough to the shore, but the bird needs to get to you within one step and within a reasonable amount of time. Your dog has to do two, uh, two uh, water retrieves of ducks out in the water. The birds will land in the water, so you will have a wet duck. If your dog has never seen a wet duck, uh, you don't want game day to be the first time. So if somehow you need to get your hands on some ducks so your dog, your superstar in the upland field, knows what a wet duck is. And particularly, and I'll say this to people who don't train in training groups, if your dog has never picked up a bird that other dogs have already picked up before, because they reuse these, these ducks, if, you know, you reuse them you may not have enough for the number of dogs or you may have used them over in the advanced and now we're going to go over and use them in certified. They might not be just like a freshly shot flyer, right? They might be kind of wet and they might have had another dog or two pick them up. So for some dogs, that's a big deal. For some, it's nothing at all. I, so I make sure, of course, I have a lot of dogs, so it's easy, but I make sure that when they can pick up wet ducks and I like icky wet ducks, because then I know they'll get the really good ones. And they, there's other dogs spit on there. And so it's really good if you have your dog where they can pick up a duck just because it's a duck. And there's not all this criteria about if another dog touched it, they won't get it. So they've got to do two. They've got to bring them to within, within one step of you. You hold on to them on the line after when it's shot, when it's the, you know, the quacking and then it's launched and the gun goes off. It's already dead when they throw it. But your dog has to be there on the line with you. And you're allowed to have a, 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 you can't have a collar on them of any kind, but you have a leash or something wrapped around that you're holding on to them. For those of you that have a dog that you just know is steady, hold on to them anyway. 
<laughs> I have run a field champion, got him certified, a field champion, and I put a rope around his neck because I could. So I that's a zero risk. I don't want to be hamming it up and have that be the one time the dog's going to break on me. So you hold on to them, and then you're released. The judges will tell you what the release is. And then, then you send your dog. So they have to be able to wait, watch it go down. They have to go pick up this wet duck that might have been handled by another uh, dog and bring it to within step to a step of you. Make sure your dog can do those things. In the upland field, your dog has to be under reasonable control, not like at the finish level where they, you know, are just they do everything right and they're right there with you. So your dog does need to hunt. You cannot lead your dog up to the scent cone of a bird. The dog does have to literally be searching. The dog needs to not just search and leave and go into another field and just chase birds. And, you know, they need to be under some reasonable control. It would have to be a dog that you could hunt with, literally. So if it's just going to just run out there and do all kinds of crazy stuff and chase birds for three counties over, you might consider getting a little bit more control over it. It needs to be a dog that you could, it won't be like a finished dog, but a dog that you can hunt with then they need to actually point. You cannot cue them into a point. You can't, you just, they have to establish a point that is clearly identifiable to the judges. Their criteria for a point, not yours or mine. So the dog has to do that and it has to do it generally. There's not a rule. There's three birds they put out there for you. It's not like you must point three or you must, there's not really a rule because there's a lot of factors. There's conditions, there's temperature. Somebody might have run at eight o'clock in the morning with a cool breeze and then somebody else ran at two o'clock in the afternoon. It was 97 degrees and no wind. Knowledgeable judges will take that stuff into account, but you do have to look for the birds, find them. Not You may not find all of them because stuff happens, but look for the birds, find them, point the ones they find, and then they don't have to be steady. They can go in there and produce it. They can even go, if it's dizzied hard, go grab it. You're not failed for that at this level. Um, but they will, you do have to have a retrieve. So if they produce the bird and it flies up, or if the gunner produces it, flies up, it gets shot. Wherever you're standing, you stay right there. And then the, they have to, again, to bring it within one step of you. Even if it's alive, right? or even if it looks like they'd rather eat it than bring it to you, they need to bring the bird to you regardless of the condition and within one step. So, and it all, you have to have, when the dog goes on point, a bird needs to be produced. There has to be one there. Just a point by itself doesn't count. And then when you do have that point, there has to be the retrieve. If, if they couldn't shoot the bird because uh, the bird flew right at the gallery that was watching, then, and they, so they take a safety or the dog was flying, the bird was flying low and the dog was chasing underneath, then you need to get your dog back if that happened and they will simulate one. Your gunner will have a, a freshly dead bird in their vest and they will throw, shoot and throw and will simulate a retrieve. And so all of your points don't count unless you get the retrieve with them. And the bird, once that happens, you have to stand there and the dog has to bring it within one step. So they need to really point, they need to really hunt, and they need to really retrieve whatever it is and bring it back to you. And sometimes the birds aren't completely dead, or sometimes they have some little bit of innards on them. There's different things, and it would be nice if your dog still understood, you know, that they had to bring that back to you. 
And nowhere in anywhere can you intimidate, yell, scream, stand over your dog. So you got to make sure that part of your interactions together are reasonable the way you would be if you were hunting, not, you know, scaring them into doing the right thing. So if your dog can do all that stuff, go get them because you'll have a good time running that certification with a good dog. Next question. And I had a kind of a lengthy um, email on this one and uh, kind of a back and forth a little bit. But the, the, the question was, and it was kind of a challenging, kind of actually challenging my contention. When I always tell people and I always write about it and I always, boy, if you're working with me, I'm really on you, is stop doing the work for your dog. And so... Uh, the, the individual I'm talking about was, was like, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think you're doing the work for the dog. You're, you're teaching them. I don't understand what you mean. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go into this one in a little bit of depth and it applies to brand new dogs when they're very, very young. And it applies to all of us that are running at the highest levels and we're training and we're out doing a technical water blind or whatever we're doing upland field even to be able to differentiate between who is bringing about the behavior. That's what this comes down to. Who is bringing about the behavior in the dog? And I'll start at the beginning with basic obedience, which is heel means be at my side. You have to pick a side that you want. And if you're going to be a two-sider, uh, which that's kind of not as much anymore, but anyway, you know, start with one at least before you add the other one, but pick a side. And the heel means to be at my, for me, for most people, because we're right-handed dogs on the left side. Your dog heals with you, stays at your side, basically, you know, rib to hip, kind of your hip and their rib. Not out front, not behind, not over the side. They heel means be at my side and sit means to drop your bottom when you hear the word said. Don't turn, face, get the direction you want, then drop it. Drop it right next to me so we're always facing the same direction. Particularly when you're hunting or competing in this kind of stuff, there's no looking at you unless you're handling. And if you're handling, then they're 50 yards out there looking at you because you stopped them. But in their jobs of watching birds go down and watching, looking out where they're going to run a blind retrieve, you two are facing the same direction. That requires that on heel and sit, that you both are facing the same direction. In other words, both of your hips, if you had little lasers on them, are, are facing the same direction, not cocked in at different angles. So what, when you teach that, when you teach that, you have your leash or however you choose to do it, and you teach them, all right, you're going to walk along with me, and we're going to go the same direction. And then when I stop, I'm going to say sit and you drop your bottom. And you have your leash to make sure that they come with you. You have your leash to make sure that they stop. You pull up generally uh, on the conventional leash the way I do it. Uh, pull their head up to drop their bottom. You push their bottom down. Pretty soon after hand, you can use something else so you don't have to bend so far down to put pressure on their bottom to sit down. Now... Once you have taught them that, it's now time for them to take the responsibility for carrying out what you ask. So I don't know how many times I've been working with somebody and, and they've got, they're working with their dog and we're just doing this fundamental heel and sit. 
This, you know, everybody gets like, why are we doing this? I want to do the fun stuff. Because this fundamental stuff is the most important thing. So, and go after you listen to this, when you go out this evening or tomorrow and do some work with your dog, find out whether you've been doing this or not. Because so many people, you show them how you enforce sit or how you enforce heel or hear the coming to you with a leash. So they're out there working and they say sit and they pull up on the leash. And they say heel and they might pull forward, but then they say sit and they pull up on the leash. Well, if you do that enough times for a couple days in a row, that dog waits for the pull up on the leash before they sit down because you've created this little dance step where you are walking along and then you stop and then they hear the word sit and then the leash get pulls up, pulled up and then their bottom drops. So now that's the series of events that has to happen. So until you pull up on a leash, they're not going to sit. So for many times for people whose obedience stuff is not progressing and they don't know why, it's because of that phenomena right there. Once you teach them, when I tell you sit, you need to sit. And I'm going to, I'm not going to enforce unless I absolutely have to. And then when they don't sit, when you ask them, you come in with whatever, mine's a pop on the bottom, a little plastic thing. It, uh, then I'm going to come in there with that where they're going, I don't want you to do that to me again. And so I'm going to just sit. Okay, now the dog is taking the responsibility for listening, hearing the word sit and sitting down. The same thing with heal or hear. If every time you tell them to do stuff, you enforce it and have them do it, that becomes built in. And you are literally doing the physical work and they are doing nothing but responding. So I hope that makes sense because this just translates on and on and on and on. Uh, and I'm, let me just fly to the other end of this where I see people doing it at a real advanced level. Let's talk about something that's hard for people and hard for dogs. A technical water blind. A real technical one where you got an angle entry and then you got a shoreline and then you go over the point. You know, all these little really difficult things. So I'll, some people I'll watch when they're handling a dog and they send them and they go wrong. Let's say we we're point, we got some water in front of us. Dog sends. This is for the blind running people. You send your dog, you point them at the water, right? And you, they take off and flare off from the water, right? Now, so now what happens? The dog just told, people are just, they... They're going, oh, now I better stop him, cast him back to the water. Sometimes I got to stop him two or three times, finally got in, Whew, got him in, good, they're happy. So that dog told that person two or three times, I don't want to get in the water. That's the same on obedience of saying, I don't want to sit. So the dog doesn't get in the water and they finally ask and ask and ask and wear it down and it finally gets in the water and they're happy. So they did all the work of getting that dog in the water versus somebody who points their dog at the water. And let's say they're both well-trained, let's say that. If they're not, then none of this applies. Go back and teach them when you point them at water. It means they have to get in. But when you point your dog at water and they know they're supposed to get in water, all this stuff I'm talking about is after the dog has been taught what the expected behavior is. That dog flares away from the water. That's where we use some indirect pressure on sit. We stop them. And then pop them on the, figuratively speaking, pop them on the bottom with the plastic bat, right? Sit, going, hey, listen to me. And then you give them a cast in the water, train correctly, they'll get in. 
So one way the person is doing all the work for the dog and then they're happy because they got them in. And the other way they're going, excuse me, you know. So that's where indirect pressure on sit. Sit is, I told you, everybody, sit is your power deal everywhere all the time, except in the upland field. So you use some indirect pressure on sit when they went and goes, I don't think, I know I'm supposed to get an order, but I'm not going to. It's like, I do, th I think you will. So people who put the responsibility onto the dogs have got to pay attention to what the dog is telling them and respond to that. And that's what makes it hard. It's much easier when you're doing something, basic obedience, running a hard water blind, to just keep at it, keep doing it. You know, finally they'll figure it out. Oh, they're figuring it out all right, but it's not what you think. They understand that you're going to basically do all the work and they'll just be out there until you wear them down to do the right thing. So let's go back to obedience, see if I can explain that just a little bit better. So I've taught my little dog, let's, let's use G, I've taught her to sit and, and to heal. She knows what that is, but she's just in one of those, you know, kind of, oh, I'd really rather go chase a rabbit around. Um, all right, I'm going to come in now instead of pulling her back on the leash and just nagging and being, oh, geez, she's just got such a bad attitude. I'm going to come in and enforce, probably sit with her because she's very sensitive to any physical stuff. So if I just pop that little dog, sit, boom, and pop her on the bottom with my little plastic thing, we uh, suddenly we have remembered what all of this is and how significant it is. And she once again takes all the responsibility for responding to what I'm asking her to do. And with other dogs, it might be something else. It might be another enforcement of something else. Sit's usually a real good one because they really know what that is and you can put pressure on them and they'll sit. So on a basic obedience, when they're telling you, you know, hey, I'm just not into this today. I remind them that they need to be into it today. We're only doing it a short period of time, but it's their job, their job to respond to the stuff that I am saying. And if the dog is not responding and so I just keep thinking well I'll just keep showing them what I want after I've already shown them for weeks what I want I'm doing all the work they're coasting no progress so back to my water blind example okay assuming the dog understands has been through the swim by you know if they haven't then none of this applies because they you don't have the tools of the dog's understanding but when people when I see people and the dog you know shows them clearly a first 10 steps goes on I'm not getting in the water and and so they just ask again and go get in the no really get over here in the water or when the dog's coming back on a water deal and they're going I don't want to swim back I'm going to run around and they just go well it's coming back doesn't matter right there they I'm not even going to try here so as though the dog just gets to do whatever it wants and that you're just responding. You're responding all the time. That means the dog is controlling the situation. That means you're doing all the work and they're not. That is not a trained dog. That is a dog that you go out and kind of beg, borrow, and steal and just see if you can maybe get it through a little bit. So part of being a good dog trainer, in my opinion, is one teaching teach thoroughly teach well so that you know they understand then let's transfer the responsibility over 
And the analogy, I'll use my own kids. I think it's the same way with human kids. Dogs and humans are very different. But it's like with kids. First, you got to teach them how to read and teach them how to write and teach them how to think a little bit and teach them how to figure stuff out. And pretty soon, you've got to let them do that without you. Pretty soon, they need to, you know, I taught both my kids to drive. And when I realized they were good, I was like, all right, now you go. Go drive. You can go to this place. Oh, they were all... It's like, no, you can do it. You've got to. You have to do all the thinking for yourself right now. And dogs need to do the thinking. Once we teach them, then we need to transfer that over. And it, just the one of the ways to analyze where you are on that is who is responding to whom. So if you have to keep jerking up to have the dog sit, okay, you're responding to the dog's lack of effort. If you have to keep Tell, giving cast to get in the dogs to get the dog into the water you are responding to the dog the dog is not responding to you you're saying get in the water and the dog's going i don't want to and you're responding to that so it's really it, it comes down to that if you're responding to your dog and adjusting what you're doing to fit what they're doing then you're doing all the work and if you want to make progress in your training Figure out how to put that over onto your dog. So I hope that explains it a little bit, but it, it's not something, again, you ever hear people talk about, but uh, it's important. That's how you get up to the advanced levels. Last question. This one will be uh, should be fairly short. I've covered this before, but I get this question a lot, and, and one that I got recently was, okay, my dog is uh, has started pointing birds now and uh, so when do I when can I start saying whoa <laughs> um <clears throat> well this you can't there's not like an answer to this I don't know how old this dog was um if it's a little puppy like G I could say whoa I could uh you know read uh, Shakespeare I could sing it would all be the same so when dogs are very young um, and people start putting control things on them, particularly one that out of context. You've been introducing them to birds. They love birds. They go find them and they chase them a little bit. And then all of a sudden, bam, you, you change all the rules. So I would be, that doesn't always make sense. So if you can, people that are doing this with dogs, instead of thinking your people thoughts, which is, okay, I got this pointy dog, and he's pointing, and now I want him to be steady, and people do that with woe, so I need to teach woe. That's the kind of the simple chain of thoughts that we have. If you go into that dog's head, okay, they don't know all that stuff. They're just out there going, this is awesome. I always call it their heroin fields. This is awesome. I get to go out here. They love the movement, right? They love, and it's independent movement. They are out there moving through the field using the wind on their own. And then they find these living things or the scent of it. It is exhilarating. It is so exhilarating. And then it comes up and whatever, you know, you shoot it or they chase it or whatever it is. Oh, it is just beyond ecstatic. It is just makes every single cell in their bodies go, I'm so glad I'm here. And now all of a sudden we're going to change the rules with no context. Now I know there's a lot of people that get in there and just start the woe and the chords and all that stuff. And, and that's fine. You know, I, everyone should do what they really believe. But I, I have found for me without not 
so I don't mess up a beautiful point. And the dog's confidence and conviction. I think that should be important. I need to get into that head a little bit before I can just drop the woe hammer. And, because that's like the finished ultimate thing that we do with, with pointing dogs. That's the final deal is the steadiness. That's not what we start with. That's what we wind up with. And to have a rock solid steady dog that looks great and isn't turning around looking at you and wagging is to have a lot of conviction. So if you want to begin the process of what will ultimately be a steady dog, there's several things you can do. One, if you want to teach woe, do it in the yard. It, that is a process also, particularly because it makes no sense to them. It is completely unnatural, makes no sense. Anytime you do stuff like that, it's good if you do it in a gradual, continuous way until they just learn to accept it and think it's part of the deal and it doesn't seem unnatural. Do that in the yard. Start just getting them to stand. If you've been doing all that sit stuff I always tell everybody to do, and then you ask them to stand, that's very confusing. I always do sit first. I always do sit first because I'm going to use that their whole life. And then now we're going to get them to stand, right? Oof, that's hard. That takes a while to before that's in their heads. They're okay with that. And they understand it. I don't now just stand all the time. Sometimes I sit. Sometimes I stand. And then you begin to get into stand when you move away. That's There's a whole thing and it takes time, particularly if you want them to really understand what, what you're asking. Then at the same time back in the field when, the, when now they're getting wild and crazy, let's just start teaching them some control in the field, not on a pointed bird, but moving through the field. Get them where they'll come when you call them. If they don't come when you call them, they're not going to stand still when they want to get a bird. So you get into their head about some of your control things without the bird association with it. Without that. Very, very important. So then you slowly bring these things back together. This is what I'm going to be doing with G. Although she's not, she's just a bird chaser once it comes up. Um, but I'm going to be doing this slowly. I haven't even, I'm not even started well with her yet because I'm doing force fetchy stuff and that's a real sit oriented thing. So I wouldn't dream of doing something completely opposite of a sit oriented thing at the same time on a six month old puppy. Too much. Even for a really good one, which I think she is, it's too much. So we're going to get the force fetchy stuff. So the bird comes directly back to me. <laughs> I need that. And then we will begin the other stuff once that is solidified. I don't think people realize when your, your dog has started pointing and they're just figuring out this upland world, which is a very complicated, big one. Had a whole podcast on that. And we're going to teach three, four things at one time. Because why not? Well, I'm out here. I don't get to do this very often. So I'm going to make sure they're steady. I'm going to make sure they're doing this. I'm going to make sure they're doing that. Without ever realizing that little head in there can't get all that. So you teach those dogs to basically ignore you and get away with as much as they can. And you lose that connection of that teamwork thing. I see that more than I see the reverse, the teamwork thing. I see a lot more of just a kind of a big wild thing and people are wanting to get dragging cords and yelling and get five things going at one time and that log, little dog's just going, just leave me alone, I want to go after this stuff. So, um, 
something to think about uh, on that stuff. I, I wouldn't wool. I, I would wool separately unless I'm doing an anti-wool kind of training, like basic obedience or, the, or uh, you know, I, or the, the force fetch stuff. You know, where you got to be sitting down while I'm doing this stuff. I'm not going to also, again, go do the don't sit down thing while I'm doing two very unnatural things. I have found that one unnatural thing at a time is kind of optimal to get the most out of these guys. So that's today's deal. Um, a little bit longer. I hope that, uh, I hope everybody's getting ready for the season. I hope all you guys with pointing guys get out there. There's, there's more tests this year. Um, it'd be cool if we could get some down in the South. I don't think we have South people down there yet that are willing to put, but I know there's a lot of pointing labs in the Southern and Southeastern part of the United States. So be nice to get them going too. Um, I hope everybody is, uh, staying healthy and happy. I get my second uh, vaccine today. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Then I can get out even more comfortably, uh, with everybody. And I hope that we get all past this just as soon as possible. Everybody has do some good dog training and G and I, the boring stuff we're doing right now, uh, we'll be back soon.